everybody. Thanks so much for joining us for this week's episode of When I Grow Up. Today, I've met a new friend. Her name is Gina Kim, and she's joined us today to tell us what she does um, on a day-to-day for her job. Hey, Gina, how are you? Hi, how are you? Thanks for having me. Of course. Um, I'm excited that you're here because um, you are in uh, a position that I actually am really curious about. Mm -hmm. Um, Human resources. Is that correct? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I feel like, you know, I've actually had people in the past, like, ask me, like, oh, do you know what a person in human resources mm-hmm. does? Like, can you get somebody on your podcast to do that, uh, talk about it? So um, I know that your your area of human resources is a little bit different than maybe mm-hmm. your typical human mm-hmm. resources person. I'll just call it HR from now on because it's <laughs> <That's> a <fine>. really <laughs> long word. <laughs> um so, Gina, could you kind of describe for us what it is that uh, you're responsible for um, as somebody that works in an HR position? Yeah, so HR is actually pretty broad, right? There's different components to HR. I specifically work in HR technology. So um, my position is really cool in the sense that I kind of get to see and touch everything, a lot of the processes. So when you think of HR, a lot of people think of hiring and firing, right? And terminating people. Um, That's some of it. Um, But then you have specific HR roles like a talent acquisition manager or another way to call that is a recruiter Mm -hmm. um, who finds talent and brings in people into the company. Then you've got payroll, which sometimes falls under finance and sometimes it falls under HR, but you know, you have to get your people paid. Then you have benefits, then you have talent and performance, which is like, if your company has um, performance reviews or how are you growing your talent? Um, And then you just have a plethora of different areas of HR. I specifically do HR technology, meaning how does all of those things work in the system? So for example, when you go look for a job, right? Um, You can go to indeed.com or whatever, but if you go to a specific company's website and you click on careers and then you apply, how does that information, when you're doing a job application online on that, um, in that company's website, how does that information get stored into the company's uh, system? And how do they filter through their candidates? And this is just an example for recruiting, but I set all that up. So how does, what does the form look like? How does the system get um, the candidate to apply? And how does that information get to the recruiter? How does the manager and the recruiters all look at the information? And then how does that candidate go through the interviewing process? It's all these days, all in the system. And then, um, then you get to hire the person. Then when you get hired, you have to do onboarding, right? As a new hire, you have to do your W2 or your, your um, tax withholding information. You have to do your personal information, whether you're a male or female or um, when your birth date is your social security so you can get paid. You have to put in all that kind of information. And then after that, let's say you get promoted. How does the promotion work? Um, And how is that stored? And then how do you get compensated? Because that's all part of the HR system. Um, So I actually build and maintain all of that in uh, for my company. (gasps) That is fascinating because because I feel like what I'm learning a lot with interviewing people is – the jobs that are are necessary aren't necessarily the jobs that I think about. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. um, 
So, okay. So what does your day-to-day look like then if you're maintaining all of these things? Mm -hmm. So just a little background too. I used to actually, so I use a specific, um, so Workday is what I, is the HR terminology that I am familiar with and that I have been doing for about 11 years now. Um, There are so many different HR systems and platforms out there. Um, but Workday is my jam. I actually love Workday. I'm a Workday cheerleader. Um, so a lot of companies actually use Workday. So in my past, um, for about seven years, I actually implemented Workday, the HR system, to large corporations. Um, so let's take hypothetically, like Target, for example. Um, how do they pay their How do they pay their um, employees? How do employees clock in and out so that they can get paid? Um, all that kind of stuff we actually build for Target. I'm just using Target as an example. Um, so I used to go do and put in the system for all these large corporations. Um, then I was traveling all the time and I got tired. So then I went in-house. Mm-hmm. And um, so now what I do day to day is um, make sure that our business processes aren't broken, make sure that payroll, I assist my payroll manager to make sure that people are getting paid correctly. I work with our HR operations manager who makes sure that our data is correct, that um, all the processes are working correctly. I work with our recruiter to make sure that our external career websites are branded correctly and making sure that the candidates are flowing through the system correctly. Um, I make sure that our um, that I work with now these days, and we can get that get into that a little bit further, but with all the social injustice and social unrest that we're having, everyone's really looking into diversity and inclusion, right? So all that data is in the system. So what does our population look like? How many minorities do we have? How many um, millennials do we have? Gen X, Gen Y. So we're looking at all this different data. So I assist in data analytics as well as um, business processes. Mm. Um, that's all related to HR. Um, wow, that's a lot of stuff that you're responsible for. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, just backtracking a little bit. So sure. just to clarify, Workday in itself is just a program that companies use to make their, their uh, I guess, to make things easier for the employees to get to get what they need as far as compensation and clocking in and clocking out, as you mentioned before. And so you're saying, is that like a, what kind of system is that? Just a computer program? Yeah, it's a, um, it's a SaaS program. It's uh-huh. a pretty much just a cloud-based, excuse me, cloud-based um, tool. Uh-huh. Um, and it's, everything is holding all of your data, your I HR see. data. Okay. okay. So your personal information, Got your it. pay information, your, time information like if you wanted to request time off how does that work um you know you have to tell your manager that you're taking off right and they can either approve it or deny it and you usually do that in the system if you're a bigger corporation i know a lot of mom and pop shops you know they all start with spreadsheets and excel but once you get to you know be a thousand employees plus how do you manage that in excel you can't so you have to use some kind of tool and so mm-hmm. when you used to go around and implement this program, it, did it include like training how to use it and things like that as well? Yeah, good question. Um, so we would sit down with all the HR partners that we have to work with, write down all the business processes. We used to make videos or I used to make videos as an analyst when I first started to say, hey, the first step is, you know, um, 
let's say the first step of hiring someone is to make sure you get the hire date and then um, the hiring reason, because there's a lot of reasons why you could hire someone. Um, what kind of um, compensation are they getting and all that kind of stuff, right? Mm -hmm. So you, then it would go to the next, maybe you go to the manager for the manager to approve it, to make sure that the HR put that information in correctly. Mm -hmm. um, so you would write out all of these in like a Visio. You don't have to, but for, for this example, we used to write them out in um, like a Visio template. Okay. Um, and then what we would do with that Visio template is then transform that into the system and build it in the system. Oh, um, wow. And then once we did that, we build in a system and then you can also send notifications and you have to build all that kind of stuff. And then once everything was good, um, the end users would test it and say the HR person who was actually doing the hiring, for example, would say, Hey, this worked, this didn't work. Can we tweak this? We make some adjustments. And then by the time we, what we call go live and actually go, you know, put it into mm -hmm. uh, existence, <laughs> if you will, uh, what we call go live, um, then they would really start using that for their business. But before they did that, we would have to train them. We would have training material. A lot of it is change management too, meaning um, how are users going to adopt this? Meaning if they're used to using an old system and they're like, I don't want to use this new system. It won't do this. It won't do that. Because there's that learning curve on how you have to use something, right? Mm -hmm. It's like if you're using a Samsung iPhone and then you go to the Apple or Samsung iPhone. If you go to a Samsung Galaxy phone to like an Apple iPhone, right? Mm -hmm. They look different. It's going to take you a second to understand how they sure. work differently. Mm -hmm. um, so some people, I, I'm guilty of this. I tried to go to, you know, a galaxy and I'm like, I can't use this. I have no idea how to use this. Right. right and me so too. I like, I was like, I'm going back to the iPhone. <laughs> um, so it's that chain. People are like, oh, I don't like this, but then they have to do it because the company is making them use it. So that whole change management, how do we make people fall in love with the system and not hate it? So training, change management, all of that is included when, when I used to do implementation. Yeah. That's crazy. So, um, man, are you really like technology savvy then? Like, have you, okay. <laughs> She's no. nodding her head. No, but <laughs> no, definitely not. Um, it's a funny question because I actually went to Georgia tech uh -huh. and was a computer science major. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. And but no, I wasn't. I started clarification. <laughs> I started as a computer science major. I took my first, uh, I took one class and I was like, oh, this stinks. And then I took Java and I, I'll be transparent. I, I failed and I was like, oh my gosh, I hate computer science. Okay, yes. And so I switched <laughs> Which real isn't fast. uncommon, I hear. I heard that's not an <laughs> uncommon thing. <laughs> so got my first F in life, felt like a failure. Oh, no. um, and I retook it and I got a B. So mm -hmm. I was like, okay, that's that's good. Um, but no, I, I really honestly believe that people who are in the computer science and programming um, space, their minds are brilliant. Mm -hmm. I think they have a way of their mind thinking a certain way. And my mind just does not think that way. <laughs> Um, so I, I am technical in the sense that I can build these business processes in our system, mm -hmm. but you don't have to, um, you don't have to code. Okay. So that's why I love my job. Cause I don't have to code. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, 
either way, I could not build those processing <laughs> systems. So whether I knew how to code or not, but <laughs> okay, well, um, I do want to touch back on what you were saying earlier. But before we get more into what you do on a day to day basis and what your job covers. Oh, by the way, I forgot to ask you. Um, I, I don't I you probably don't feel comfortable disclosing where you work, but what kind mm-hmm. of company do you work for? I'm in the retail slash sports and entertainment industry. Oh, that sounds like a fun industry to work in. It's very fun. It's very fun. Um, I'm learning a lot. It's the first time I've been in this industry, so um, but it's it's very exciting. So nice. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so I, what I was saying was, um, I was wondering if you could take me back to what you were talking about, just your college days, you know, even, yeah. even before then, like you entered Georgia Tech as a, a computer science major, but mm-hmm. what made you even decide computer science in the first place? Um, I honestly didn't know what I wanted to do, uh-huh. um, to be completely honest. And my brother was at Georgia Tech as a computer science major. Mm-hmm. And so my dad is very... Um, He's a, he used to be like, he's a nerd. I'll just say that. <laughs> so he's like pro computer science and he was like, technology is the way, you know? So he encouraged me to do computer science as well, just because my brother was computer science. And so I was like, I had no idea what I wanted to do. So I was like, okay, I'll just do computer science. So went, did my first couple of computer science classes, decided I hated it. Mm-hmm. Um, changed my major to um, undecided. Cause I didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, and then I changed my major again to industrial engineering at Georgia Tech. So oh, nice. Okay. So yeah. could you tell us what industrial engineering is? We've actually had somebody <laughs> on the podcast before that is an industrial engineer major as well, but oh, yeah. he does something completely different than what you do. So um, uh-huh. could you um, kind of maybe elaborate on your experience as an IE major? Sure. I'm not using it at all. (laughs) Um, But a lot of the um, studies that I did during industrial engineering is a lot of process efficiency, optimization, a lot of supply chain Mm -hmm. work. Um, So that was what I pretty much studied. It's it's funny because I did have um, some job offers after college Mm -hmm. um, where it was working and managing people on production lines and Mm -hmm. products. Um, So it, for me, though, the reason why I didn't go that route is because um, I would have to be in a city where there's a factory, mm-hmm. and those places are very um, not city-like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's usually, like, one traffic light, and <laughs> I'm a very people person, mm-hmm. and I love meeting new people and stuff like that. So that life just wasn't for me as far as um, the area went and where my location would have been. Mm-hmm. Um, so. so then how did you end up – and what you're doing today then? Yeah. So, um, my dad has been in consulting for, I have no idea how many years, ever since I, I remember anything about my dad, he's always been in the consulting world. Um, and I never really knew what that meant. (laughs) Um, but after going to Georgia tech and uh, attending all the career fairs and stuff, and, um, it kind of helped because I didn't really know exactly what I wanted to do. Um, so consulting, I felt like was great because I would be able to um, see a lot of different things and experience a lot of um, different opportunities. Uh, so I wanted to do that just so that I could get my feet wet, see what was out there. And Sorry, what is consulting? <laughs> yeah, um, it's, I, I think it's a way of 
someone or a company, the consultant, helping other clients or businesses who are wanting a separate eye to look at their processes. Because a lot of the times when you're in day to day, you don't see the new ideas and you're just kind of, you know, going through the motions. Whereas a consultant can come in and help you look at it with a different angle, bring fresh ideas um, and bring in also best practices because that consultant probably has had a lot of experience with a certain topic or a certain specialty. So they come in and say, hey, this is the trend of what with the world is going. And then also bringing, this has worked with most companies in the past. So this is best practice. And they come in with that mindset to help those clients be as best as they can too with the new fresh ideas. Um, so you're probably like, having said that, you have zero experience as a new grad coming out of college. So why would you be a consultant? So I think, um, so I actually started with IBM when I first graduated from Georgia Tech and was in their consulting, um, went into consulting. But one of the great things that I was so lucky to have when I was IBM is when I first started, um, they actually had just piloted a two-year rotational program. So we joined as like a cohort, like a, a class of new hires from all over the country, um, new grads from colleges. And we started together, went through training, and we had different stints every quarter. So then we would be able to see different kinds of projects. We could see different, um, whether you wanted to do merger and acquisitions, or whether you wanted to go into HR, or you wanted to go into process improvements or whatever. We were able to see different areas. And then after the two years were up, uh, you would say, hey, what are you interested in? And then IBM would try to match you up with the best um, your skill set and what the company needed. Wow. So it was, um, I was very lucky in the sense that they had that program so I could kind of see what I wanted to do. That's incredible. Do they still have that, uh, that program? Um, I, I want to say yes, but I'm not, I can't 100% answer that. I'm not sure. I feel but like I that, that is like so efficient. Cause you know, I mean, mm-hmm. we all, all post grad grad um, <laughs> graduates know that even right out of college, it's still like, oh, what do I do? Like even yeah. though you, even though you've like majored in something, you've graduated with a degree, it's still mm-hmm. like, oh my gosh, like you know, is this what I really wanted to do? Is this? Yeah. Even, I I think that's so awesome that they offered that program. So. Oh, from yeah. that, from that time at IBM, did you did they place you in an area where you were interested in? Uh, no. Okay. So the, my first project, <laughs> my first project, um, they just kind of, as an analyst, like a first year analyst, you don't really know what you want to do. Or uh-huh. at least I didn't. I can't say that for everyone. I didn't. So they were like, what do you want to do? I was like, I don't know. Just put me. <laughs> so they sent me to Texas and I did process improvement work. Um, so I would look, I don't remember what my first project was to be honest with you. I just remember looking at a process and I had to make it better. A lot of analyst (laughs) positions, you know, you're taking a lot of notes, you're building a lot of processes, um, you're supporting the project managers, right, that are actually working, doing the hard stuff. And Mm -hmm. during that process, it's, um, and you're building PowerPoints, but that's how you learn, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, I learned so much during that time. So um, yeah, I remember that. And then my second stint was, they were like, what do you want to do? And I was like, you know, I've always been interested in HR. So can I do something in HR? And they said, sure. Um, 
And then that, again, in my mind, I was like, oh, and what I had done at Georgia Tech was uh, my senior year, I remember, um, or even when my, my first year at IBM, sorry, I was recruiting at Georgia Tech for, you know, new, new grads. And I was talking about the program and how awesome it is. And so I was kind of interviewing these new recruits, if you will. And I actually loved that. I loved it. And I was like, maybe I want to be a recruiter. Mm. And so then I was like, let's go. I think I want to be in HR. And I've always been kind of a social person. So, and I love people. So I was like, I think HR is the way for me. Little did I know that they were going to put me in HR technology. (laughs) So then they put me in um, SAP HR, which is another HR platform. And, um, I didn't love it because uh-huh. I was like, what is this tool? I had to learn it on my own. They didn't even send me to training. I had to learn it on my own. Oh, goodness. I was like, oh, goodness. And then Workday came along and they're like, IBM was like, hey, there's this new program called Workday. I'm like, what's that? And they're like, I think you should go get training for it because mm-hmm. it's going to be big. And I was like, okay, whatever. So I went to go get training um, and I was like, oh, wow, this is kind of cool. And I think I can do this. There's still a lot to learn with an HR, but I was like, this is kind of cool. So then I got certified. I don't know. I still didn't know what the heck I was doing. <laughs> and then I got my first project and I was like, oh, wow, this is kind of cool. Mm. And then just my career just took off from there. Wow. That's amazing. <laughs> um, so how did you, did you say you got that job at IBM through the career fair itself or what it? is that yeah. how the op- opportunity opened itself yeah I would say as a PSA for yes. any college grads or I think that I, I can't say for all colleges because I just know about Georgia Tech but Georgia Tech had an impeccable career center mm. they really try to um, promote the next growth opportunity for their graduates and mm-hmm. so I really utilized our um, career services at Georgia Tech they had a bunch of career fairs. Um, I networked like crazy. I just feel like the more you use what they have provided you, then you, you know, and you are just utilizing that to the, the max capacity. I just think that it's going to be full, a lot of doors full of opportunities. So I really use that um, career services center. I also co-opt for, um, well, I graduated Georgia Tech late. I was on a five-year I was supposed to say five and a half year program. No one at Georgia Tech graduates early um, or on time. But I worked every other semester to get um, work experience on my resume. Okay. Um, so even that was through the Career Services Center. Um, and I'm just very thankful for that opportunity that they are just sharing to all of their students. Yeah, no, you heard it here, guys. Take full advantage of the career centers at your universities or your schools because I agree. I think, um, I mean, I'm going to be completely honest here. I think even like in Asian American households, like especially in immigrant families that mm-hmm. aren't familiar with with like what's available, um, you know, they don't take full advantage of what's mm-hmm. what's given and all the resources. So yeah. I think that's really sound advice. Thank you, Gina, for mentioning that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, you were mentioning before, uh, that part of your job is to kind of, is data analysis and to analyze, you know, like what you're, what you brought up was, you know, the gen- different genders, even like racial race backgrounds mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. um, gen X, gen Y, who, who is working for us. Um, mm-hmm. and you also mentioned that, you know, during this like really 
crazy time of Mm -hmm. quarantine and 2020 and just all the things that are just, what do I say? Just coming through the woodwork, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And part of that is the social injustice and racial injustice Mm -hmm. that's been highlighted. Um, How has that affected companies, like large companies like you guys, you know? Um, It's been crazy, I will say. It's been a whirlwind for sure. 2020 has, man, it's been crazy. Um, It has hit the HR departments tremendously. Um, I'll start with COVID first. Um, You know, a lot of companies had to shut down, right? So what does that mean? You have layoffs. How does that impact HR? You're terminating a bunch of people. You're either, um, or furloughs. You, it's either furloughs, terminations. um, And then you have, as HR, you have to send all that unemployment stuff. Different states have different laws. So Mm -hmm. sometimes the company has to um, file the unemployment for you on your behalf if you're if you're terminated, um, and then if you're still, it, we all shut down. But if your company shuts down, but you're still going to be generous and pay your employees while you're shut down, how is the system going to do that? So, me as the technology person at my company, it's we had to be nimble and we had to think fast because Corona happened fast, you know. Yes. Overnight. Um, yeah. So how do we be nimble? And then not only that, once stores open back up and businesses open back up, how do you bring people back? Because you have to be safe. You have to be, um, you have to make sure the customers feel safe. You have to make your employees feel safe. Um, we had a bunch of people who didn't feel safe coming back to work. Um, so then you also have to think about, well, then do you put them on leave or do you, can they use their vacation time to actually get paid time off or do we let them just be out and we don't pay them? Um, But then how long are we going to let them be out for? And then you have our government who mandates um, certain things. So like with COVID um, there was a, there's like a bunch of executive orders. Um, One was, I believe um, you have to be on leave. You can you can be on leave if someone in your family or you have COVID, the company has to pay you leave while you're on leave or something like that. So how do we adjust all that stuff in the system? Because you're not going to make a whole list while in on, on Excel if you're a huge company, right? So how do we make that all all those changes in the system? So um, sorry, can I just interrupt you really quick? Yeah. Um, on that note, um, so you have to make all these changes within the system, but and you say you don't actually code, but do you guys have people in house that code for the program itself or no? So I don't know what the best way to say it. Um, I guess the analogy is like um, when you're these days when you're creating a website like Wix or Squarespace uh-huh. or whatever. These days, when you build your own website, you used to have to hire someone, right? And then sure. they would have to code it right. and like everything. Right. Um, these days, because they want it to be user friendly, you can drag and drop pages or drag and drop, you know, text blocks or whatever, right? Yes. So I, I guess I could um, make an analogy that what I do is kind of like a drag drop okay. for the system. So I don't actually have to code it, but I do build it, right? That makes Now sense. I will say it's a little bit, harder than the drag sure, drop yeah. because you still have a little bit. <laughs> so it's not as easy as a drag drop, but um, 
I guess that's the closest way I can explain why I don't code. Okay, so without coding, you are able to do a type of quote-unquote drag drop to make the program different to, what is it, better... Yeah, you have to make it, you have to do what you want it to do. And then when curveballs come like COVID, how do we change those processes or how do we add new things or how do we build things to um, answer to these problems that we're having? Thank you. Thank you. Yes. (laughs) Very well articulated. Thank you. Okay. So, so um, going forward, you have to figure out, yeah, what's the next steps, right? For all these people and um, the to serve the pandemic a little bit better. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's one example, right? We had to deal with COVID and then um, and then the whole George Floyd incident happened, which is unfortunate and terrible. And um, then, you know, subsequent, um, subsequent events happened after that. Yes. So then if you read the news, you know, so many corporations were coming out with statements on um, diversity and inclusion yes. when what they're going to do to become a better company to be more inclusive and diverse and everything and a lot of companies um, looked internally and said what does our demographic and workforce look like mm. um, so that's where the data analytics piece came in for us um, so then we did a whole internal look too on how many how many of our employees are white how many of our employees are black how many Asians do we have? Mm-hmm. So we looked at all of our percentages um, on race. We looked at um, age. So we actually have, like, for example, we might have a lot more millennials than we do um, the baby boomers. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, some companies might be the opposite. Um, and then we looked at um, gender. Like, do we have more males? Do we have more females? And then you look at, hey, actually, let me see if someone is in this, in this job title as an accountant and this person's male and this person's female and they have the same tenure at the company, who's getting paid more? Wow. And are women getting paid more or is it men getting paid more? So then you have that conversation of the glass ceiling, women can't, you know. So then all that data, data is so important in HR too, right? Because it's going to tell you a story of your company and your workforce and what does that look like? And then you look at your millennial population, right? We're known to um, millennials are known to switch jobs a lot more after Mm -hmm. two years they're on to the next job and they're Mm -hmm. on to the next job whereas like people who are in the older generation they're loyal to their company and they've been here for 15 16 20 years right so um, we have to look at that data too because then you're looking at data and say why are they leaving after two years is it because of the benefits aren't that great are they not getting paid are they not what and then you look at the other companies and see what they offer. Um, so that data in the HR system tells you a whole lot. Mm. Um, so again, just tying it back to the 2020 crisis, um, it's making all companies look internally to see how diverse they are um, and what HR strategies can they change to change those numbers into um, a more diverse workforce. So I don't know if you can speak to this. So. Mm-hmm. Are are actual changes being made as people are looking internally? Oh yeah, I think so. Um, I'll say specifically in Georgia, I think a lot of companies. And I say this because I have a lot of HR professional friends that 
you know, we're bouncing ideas off of it, all different companies. I will let you know that for diversity and inclusion, a lot of companies are starting to look at historically black college universities. Um, In Georgia, we have Morehouse, you know, we have a bunch in Georgia. And so are we even recruiting from them? Like if you're only recruiting at UGA and Georgia State and Georgia Tech, like what are, what kind of people are you getting? Yeah. You know, so are we giving black people a fair chance if we're not even going to their universities and recruiting at their universities, right? Or are we missing out on talent because we're not recruiting Mm -hmm. from there? So, you know, that is, that's just one small example of looking at an HR strategy and how we're going to make our diverse slate bigger and not just recruiting at HBCUs, historically black college and universities, but also looking at like, for example, Georgia Tech, we had a gajillion organizations, right? Mm-hmm. You have the Asian American organization, you have the Hispanic professional engineering group, you have the, um, you have Filipino student association, you have all of these different um, types of organizations, right? So us as recruiters, we could also go to those specific organizations and say, hey, we are, um, I'm just making this up, we are GE, and we are trying to promote, you know, Asian engineers, and then they can go promote that and provide opportunities too in these different organizations at schools too. So what are we doing as HR to make our um, candidate plate more diverse and are we reaching out to the, so that's just one, one HR strategy that I know a lot of companies are using. That is amazing. I mean, as you were talking, I actually got the chills because I felt like I just feel like, wow, that's um, really powerful to be in a position where you can make those kind of decisions and truly like change these large companies. And, um, you know, I grew up in a very affluent white neighborhood. And Mm -hmm. as far as my own um, ethnicity or even just like like representation I never really noticed Mm -hmm. until you know I got older and even Mm -hmm. now as a mom I think I'm like wow representation does matter like Mm -hmm. and it's actually the reason uh why uh this podcast I'm actually only interviewing Asian Americans I don't know if I had mentioned that before but um I think for me without even realizing it you know someone like you Gina in this type of position um, without even knowing it's like, Oh, you know what? Gina is Asian American and she is doing work like this. Um, and maybe I can too, you mm-hmm. know, another Asian American say, Oh, maybe I can too. And I feel like um, it's so powerful, like the impact that your company is ha- has right now. And I'm like completely floored that, that things are moving, you know, things mm-hmm. are changing. And because mm-hmm. um, I'm not, you know, I'm a stay at home mom. So I kind of just stay here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> in my own little hey, world. more props to you. <laughs> yeah. Man, that but, is a hard but job. It's just like, no, no, but it's, it's so great to hear. Um, it's really encouraging for me to hear that. Um, but uh, anyways, so what do you love about your job, Gina? What, what do you like? What are the pros for you? Oh man, everything. Um, I really do love my job. And mm-hmm. I think I've done my job for a couple of years, but, you know, for different, I've done implementation, which has been fun because you, you know, once you do an implementation, you go to the next client and you do another implementation. So that was always fun because you're always seeing a new industry or you meeting new clients. Um, but then when you're in house, like mm-hmm. I am, um, 
your team and your manager makes a huge difference. I think there's a stat that says, I forget what this number is, but some percentage people quit because their managers are, they can't work with their manager. Their managers suck, right? Yeah, I believe Um, (laughs) But thankfully I have such a great team and manager that I just absolutely love. So even if the work is hard, it's, it's okay because I have a good supportive team. Um, so I do my, I love what I love my job, but what I love about my job is my team. Mm. What I love about my job is that I'm constantly given problems and I have to solve them. Um, and it's, you can do, I feel like there's different ways you can answer a problem um, in, within the system. So I love being able to provide options for people and saying, hey, we can do it A, B or C way. Which one would you like? Here are the pros and cons. Um, and then giving other people to decide what they want, but I was able to provide them options and love problem solving in that manner. Um, I love that Workday is also continuously changing and growing. So they actually um, are always listening to the people who use their system Mm -hmm. and try to make it better. And so I always love constantly learning about what's going to be new and what the HR trends are and how, um, I listen to a lot of HR trend podcasts too, Mm -hmm. to see what I can do to stay, you know, um, present Mm -hmm. (laughs) and to make sure that I'm going to be answering and configuring the system in a manner that will be more sustainable and long lasting, Mm -hmm. um, and not just a bandaid on a problem. Right. Um, yeah, I just, and the best thing about my job is that I get to see all parts of HR. Mm -hmm. I see recruiting, I see payroll, I see data, I see learning and development, I see performance, um, performance management, I see talent. um, And those are all different areas of HR that I get to see because they all touch the system. Um, So that's what I love about HR or my job because I get to see and partner with everyone in HR. Yeah, absolutely. I can tell you're really passionate about what you do. (laughs) I love that. Um, Well, I, I hate to ask, but are there any challenges that that you face or maybe obstacles mm-hmm. that you faced in the, in the past um, leading up to what you're doing now? Um, yeah, I think the negative part about being able to see everything is that you have that many problems, right? Mm. So um, even though in recruiting, the recruiter has a problem and, and learning um, a, you know, the learning administrator has a problem. And then when you're doing performance and development, they have a problem. And then in payroll, they have a problem. They only work in their areas, right? So payroll does payroll. Um, but then when they all have a problem, they all come at me and I'm at one person, right? right. So that <laughs> is the one bad thing is uh-huh. they are only thinking about their own lanes where I'm thinking about all Everybody's of their lanes. lanes. Yeah. Yeah. So that, you just have to learn time management and prioritization Mm -hmm. and what, what needs to be done first. So that would probably be one of the most challenging things. I would say to me, that sounds like extremely stressful, (laughs) (laughs) but I guess, you know, you've been, but I love it a while. Yeah. Yeah. And then the other thing is just 2020 in general, that's been a challenge in itself Mm -hmm. because we've had to be um, flexible enough, right. To answer to COVID and answer to the social unrest. And um, so yeah, it's, it's, yeah, a lot of, a lot of hurdles in that sense this year alone. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so. I'm curious about like, 
say somebody wants to go into HR technology. Mm-hmm. And I feel that as you're talking, there are a lot of skills that you have or things that you enjoy about your job. But for someone that would want to go into HR technology, are there any like skill sets or like things that maybe you enjoy? I think you said problem solving is something that you enjoy, right? Mm-hmm. Are there other things that maybe somebody um, interested in this uh it would be ideal if they liked this certain a certain thing or a certain skill. Yeah. Um, I think it's beneficial. Like this isn't a must, right? But mm-hmm. I think it's beneficial if you are somewhat extroverted, right? Because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, you're still HR, right? Mm-hmm. And I don't know if this podcast is supposed to be about HR technology because this is about my job. But if we're talking HR in general, mm-hmm. um, obviously I can't speak to like specific specific HR but because I do see a lot of HR I think because you're working with either candidates or you're working with employees in your company um, you have to be somewhat social right Mm. Um, because your HR business partners are your champions for as a voice of the associates right Mm -hmm. so you have to be somewhat sociable and extroverted and um, so I feel like that's a good skill set to have I think you have to have good soft skills in that sense. Um, I also say that HR isn't rocket science as I know I'm not trying to like downplay HR, but um, you know, HR can be learned, I feel, right? Mm. Um, So as long as you have the right attitude and the ability to carry conversation, I think that's a great skill set to have because you'll always get to learn the HR processes. I had no idea what HR process, like a lot of the HR processes were. Mm -hmm. And I just learned them as I was experiencing my jobs, right? So um, I think that's one good skill set to have. Um, I, in retrospect, hindsight's 2020, right? If I could go back in time, I wish I had more HR management, HR development background Mm. um, before I took off on my career. Because then I would just have more HR policies and processes and knowledge and how to translate better um, to technology. Mm. Um, I do wish I had that when I first started my career, but I didn't know what I wanted to do. Not to say that it couldn't be learned because I obviously learned it. Um, But I think that would have been helpful if you know that you're interested in HR, I would say, go ahead and study it, you know, and then whether you go into recruiting or whether you go into technology, whether you go into HR data analytics, at least you have that background, right? Yeah. Um, I ended up doing my master's um, in HR development, um, which was extremely helpful. So um, I did that later. (laughs) Okay. That was my next question. Is there furthering education as far as, um, somebody that works in HR or in your line of work and you did get your master's you said mm-hmm. I got my master's master of science in HR development um to be honest with you as far as HR technology goes um I don't think that it's looked at much or I mean they'll be like oh cool you have your master's but I don't think it's going to like further your career as far as HR technology goes I do think it helps you if you are either a um HR personnel, whether you're in recruiting, whether you're in, um, you know, a different HR position, I do feel like that would be beneficial. Mm. Um, There's also what they call um, SHRM certification, which is a society of HR management. Um, They have certifications too. Um, And a lot of HR 
positions look for that certification. It's not a must and it doesn't mm-hmm. ding you or anything, but everyone does. It's a very wide known um, certification in the HR world. And so if you have that, people are like, oh, okay. She knows a lot about HR. It's a very lengthy and hefty test and certification that you have to go through. Okay. So that's always helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as my personal HR technology route goes, I don't think any of those are necessarily um, needed to advance in your career. Okay. But other HR routes, I do think that it is. Great. Man, I feel like I could ask you so many more questions. But <laughs> but um, as far as our time goes, we're coming up on our hour together. Um, but Gina, would you mind if I asked you, you can choose to answer it or not. Yeah. It's a little bit more personal. Um, but you are a, a boy mom of two. And actually, <laughs> we just had your husband on. He's um, Dr. Edward Kim, the physical therapist. Mm-hmm. And um, I was curious, could you speak to a little bit about what it's like being a working mom? Um, it's... Um... Thankfully, I will say we are very blessed and spoiled, and I know that, and I'll own that, in the sense that we do have family to help. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, people when you're when you have your when you don't have children and they say, "Oh, it takes a village," you're like, "Okay, yeah, whatever." But it's not until you actually have a kid, they're like, "Oh, yeah, it truly does take a yes, village to raise yes. children." Um, I remember Edward and I when we first started dating, we said we were going to move out west, um, but thankfully we set our roots set our roots here where both of our parents are um so we oh, have awesome helped. yeah so I'm owning up to the fact that we are very spoiled in that <laughs> sense um so um Edward's mom actually helps us with our boys oh, while we awesome. both work um I do have the flexibility to work from home so the uh, not not every day um just like two days a week so I work from home um able to see the children um throughout the day during Mm -hmm. those days Mm -hmm. the hard part would be the days that I do go into office because you leave sometimes Edward and I would have to both leave before the kids wake up and then you get home let's say you get home at five and then you have to eat dinner and then you have to bathe them and then you have to you know put them to bed so literally a two-hour window that I have with the boys so as a mom it's um it's hard because you don't want to jip your time with your kids because you're, they're only young for so long. Yes. Um, so it's that balance of making those two hours that I do have with them the most that I can mm-hmm. um, because those go by so quickly. I even look back at my boys right now and I'm like, how are they already? One, my oldest just turned three. I'm like, how are you three already? So just um, recently Edward and I have been really trying to be more intentional about the two hours that we do have with them, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. every day, which is really sad that we only get two hours with them. Gosh, I can't even imagine. But, yeah. I mean, you know, for my, I mentioned before that I'm stay at home and, you know, there are, I take it for granted. I really do. And, um, I just wanted to, to ask you about it because I know that, um, you love what you do but also Mm -hmm. you have this home life that you have to balance. And Mm -hmm. I just want to thank you for your transparency in that question, because I feel like it's important for young women to hear that it is possible though, right. To be a good, a great mom and also have a job that you love. So um, thank you so much for speaking on that a little bit. Is there anything else you wanted to share? Um, 
the only, or there's two things I wanted to say. As, yes, please. Um, one's not really related, but the other one is on this topic, you know, during this whole COVID pandemic, um, a lot of women, you know, are having to become teachers and moms and an employee. And um, there is a stat again, I don't know. I read these things. And I don't remember what the numbers are. Right? <laughs> I but there, was some, I <laughs> <laughs> there was a stat where um, during this whole COVID pandemic, a lot of moms have to start working from home because they have to do virtual teaching because they have become a teacher. And it's interesting because a lot of it has fallen on the, the women, right? Mm. Um, and there's a stat on that about how it's affecting women more than it is men. Not to say that men are, it's not impacting men. Men are like, my husband is amazing. Um, I don't know how he, you know, does everything that he's doing right now. Um, and of course it affects men. And there are a lot of single dads out there who have to do the same thing. But it's interesting to me that, um, that it still falls on women sometimes mm -hmm. right now that um, they still have to play mom, teacher, and employee mm -hmm. more so than the father mm -hmm. sometimes. Um, so that was an interesting article that I read. Um, and I think that, um, I'm not trying to be like a feminist or anything like that, no, but no. I just think it's not like that at all. It's more like, man, us women have to be strong and um, we are capable of doing it. And especially as Asian American women, um, you know, a lot of people are saying that we're more submissive and we're quiet and all that stuff. And I just truly believe that if you want something, you have to go get it. It's not going to just fall on your lap. Um, and so I've learned that as I've been growing in my career that I have to speak my voice. I don't care if I sound stupid or ask dumb questions. Um, it actually shows other people that I'm invested and passionate. And so I think it's really, truly important that um, you can't be scared and really speak your voice as an Asian American woman in, in corporations. So. Yes, I love, thank you so much for <laughs> saying those words. Because even though people think it in their head, they need someone to say it. And I really appreciate you saying it, especially in the job position that you're in. And, you know, you having the experience that, experience that you have, um, it just really says a lot. So, yes, yes, <laughs> I agree. And, you know, even what you said, I liked what you said about even if you feel dumb, right? You mm -hmm. still got to ask the questions because if you don't ask it, you know, then nothing gets done. You got to just mm -hmm. go for it. Mm -hmm. um, what was the second thing you wanted to say? Um, it's unrelated. Um, we were talking about, you know, using the career services center yes, and yes. stuff like that and utilizing that. I think the two biggest um, advice that I always give people who are going into college is, use a career services center in co-op or intern or something, because that job experience is going to look great on your resume. Companies look at that more than your grades um, and what you've learned from those experiences. So I always say intern or co-op. Um, and then the second one I always say is travel abroad. Mm. I know we can't during COVID right now, <laughs> but um, studying abroad just opens your eyes to so many things. And a lot of the times your tuition price doesn't change. Um, it's usually about the same price anyways. So what better way to see the world um, than to do it while you're studying and seeing it with your friends because, you know, 
you're taking classes and you know your classmates. It's just an amazing experience. So those are the advice that I would give. I wish you gave me that advice when I <laughs> went into college. Um, so did, does that mean you had a chance to travel abroad? Yeah, I studied abroad in Mexico and Spain. Wow. Yeah. Um, like for a whole semester or? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, um, one summer, we did half of the summer in Spain and half of the summer in Mexico. And then after I graduated college, I took six months and volunteered in Costa Rica and Mexico, three months each. Holy so I'm, I'm, I am a very, uh, I'm a huge advocate for seeing the world. <laughs> Wait, so do you speak fluent so. Spanish? I used to. Okay. No, because, because it's in, I just felt like the countries that you had been to and where you volunteered, they're Spanish speaking countries. Yep. So I just kind yep. of assumed there was some sort of association, but yeah, um, I love the language. I love the culture. Um, so that was kind of where I was going. Um, but um, now I don't have as many Spanish speaking friends, so I don't actually yeah. ever use it. So it's harder now to use it. <laughs> Sorry. I know, like I said, it'd be an hour, but I'm just so curious. No, you're um, fine. <laughs> um, so you said you volunteered in Costa Rica. What did that volunteer work look like? Um, I, in Costa Rica, I uh, worked with, um, well, in both Mexico and Costa Rica, I worked with orphanages and young children. Um, some in the school setting, a lot in the orphanages, um, whether it was tutoring or cooking or um, uh, it was mostly tutoring and co- cooking. In Mexico, I worked at two orphanages. One was like an infant newborn one mm. where um, I literally just cared for the babies. And then the other ones in the afternoon, I worked with older boys and did more tutoring, played sports with them, fed them and that kind of stuff. So do you so. have like a heart for like babies and kids? Yes. Oh. I, 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 yes. <laughs> um, did you go with a program or? Yeah, I did. Um, for the volunteer work, I did go with um, a program and they set me up with the orphanages and then a host family. So I actually stayed with host families who don't speak any English. So that's so where I, I had to learn Spanish. Like I had to learn Spanish. Um, but thankfully, when I did my study abroad program, I, you know, learned the fundamentals and basic. And we actually lived with um, host families there too. So I had to learn hard. Uh, it was very difficult that first semester because, you know, it was my first semester actually speaking Spanish and having to pick it up. Um, so I was actually better prepared when I actually volunteered for, for six months. That's so. amazing. Yeah. Okay, before we sign off, could you tell me one memorable thing about your, like either your volunteer work or the study abroad, just one memorable moment for you? I'm sure there are many. Sorry to put you on the spot. Oh, man. <laughs> um, there are two that come to mind. One was we went to Tenerife, which is an island outside of Spain. We took a flight and went to like this. It's like, you know, going to Hawaii, but except you're going from Spain to an island in of Spain. Um, so that was amazing because one side of it had volcanoes and black <gasps> sand and mountains and then the other side of the island was all beaches so that was just beautiful and then the other one would be um just I remember we took the, or the we would take the orphanage 
the boys to Ripley's Believe It or Not in Mexico. And I remember they were just like, they were like, oh my gosh, this is the craziest things you've ever seen. And they were just like, I remember they were just all over the place and so happy and just, you know, just seeing um, the excitement in the boys' eyes. I remember that was just, it was just really heartwarming. And then at the baby orphanage, one of the boys actually just watched this video and showed my husband the other day taking his first steps. Wow. That was pretty memorable too. Wow. So that's yeah. awesome. I could talk about it forever, but I won't. <laughs> <laughs> we'll save that for episode two with Gina Kim. <laughs> well, thank you again so much. I really appreciate your time today. Um, hey guys, if you enjoyed this episode and if you have any questions at all, I'm sure Gina would be happy to connect yes. with you. Um, I will give you her contact information if you just DM us or email us at podcast w-i-g-u at gmail.com um, I will happily give you that information um, Gina thank you again thank, thank you, you so much thank you it was fun I appreciate it until next time guys bye bye